Hi, I'm Amy Blackthorne, and this is Blackthorne Grove. For those of you who are new to the podcast, blackthornsbotanicals.com has some great teas, ritual oils, magical candles, and more for the next bit. I know not everyone can get to the podcast right away. I'm going to put up a podcast-only coupon code code podcast all lowercase on blackthornsbotanicals.com for 20% off anything you find in the store try and help as best I can and and apparently Lilu agrees that's blackthornsbotanicals.com and offer code podcast all lowercase professionals Hi there, and welcome to the Blackthorn Grove, a podcast where witchcraft meets with good friends over tea to talk about the nature of magic and community. Today, I'll be talking with my favorite, the fabulous Miss Judica Isles. Uh, Judica, I I can't introduce you because you you just you've done all the amazing things. I feel like I'm gonna leave something out. Can you help me? Oh, I have to introduce myself. <laughs> you don't have to. Uh, I can just sit here and talk for five minutes. I can just minutes. be mysterious. <laughs> My so 20 awesome. questions 20 questions what have i done um i i am an author i am the author of about um approximately 10 books uh, most recently daily magic and there's a new edition of my first book called pure magic and the book that most people know me for is encyclopedia of 5000 spells i am also an editor and um i am so honored to be here chatting with someone I get to, I get to like you know work on your books with you so that's like <laughs> so, so amazing and and what else I, I mean I just stuff <laughs> just the best um I I brag about you on podcasts do you I oh, do nice. just so Thank you know you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like she yeah, asked she's my editor we're like we're, cl- we're good we're close we are <laughs> no we really are I, I, I'm really I'm really blessed and privileged because I work with some of the most amazing, including you, Amy, I, I just, I get to work with some of the most amazing, brilliant people, uh, just the, the movers and shakers of the occult world. And like, sometimes I have to pinch myself, you know, that I, I actually get to do this. <laughs> it's so neat to be able to say, oh, hey, so-and-so, yeah, they we have the same publisher. So uh, like I ran into another thing and it's people that, probably 15 year old Amy with a Peter pants over <laughs> and it's so oh, oh, oh yeah no I mean like I think there's you know like every every iteration of myself 10 years 12 years 15 years like they're all in me like it's like one of those like Russian nesting dolls <laughs> and I know that there have been times in my life where I was you know either unhappy or you know not successful or you know 15 year old me like if if I had known that I, you know, I would end up here, I would have been a lot happier. But maybe if I had been happier, I wouldn't have ended up here. So who knows? <laughs> it's, a, it's like a, yeah. um, it's a paradox. It's a paradox. Uh, it's funny because today is actually the day that I lost Pete. And so I had, I got to tell her that I signed my contract oh, wow. um, before, she, before she crossed over. Um, for the for Blackthorns Botanical Magic. Yeah, so I, I was really I felt lucky and privileged to be able to dedicate the book to her because yeah, that's if she couldn't hold it, at least it could hold her. 
I, I mean, several of my books are also, I mean, they're dedicated to, to those I cannot hold in this life any longer. So, I mean, but it makes me happy to include them. Yes. Because it means that they get remembered, even if they didn't know. I, I, the two most recent books are both dedicated to people I was very, very close to. Um, one of them, I, you know, was my closest friend for years, decades. And, you know, I miss her every day, but I, 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 know, she, I know she'd be happy. She, she, if, if, you know, if, if she sees that I have done this, she, she would be happy that she was memorialized in this way. Nice. I think it's so lucky that we get to do that in a way that yeah. lives beyond us. I had, yeah. that, I had that moment probably about six months into writing Botanical Magic. And I was like, I had this epiphany just downloaded in my brain going, this is going to be in the world after I'm no longer in it. Like that's a lot of responsibility. It's, a, it's also funny the, the way that we, we see that we change, but people have this snapshot that's stuck in the book. And so it's very interesting to see how those can evolve. Well, the book, I always describe it as similar to a pregnancy. You know, yeah. there's a gestation period where you're working on it. And, but once that book is born, it kind of goes out into the world on its own. The, the way a child goes out into its world, you know, it's yeah. no longer, um, you know, so, so we were talking before I did the audiobook for Pure Magic. I read yes. the audiobook and it was very interesting because I went back and I read something out loud that I had written years ago. And as a writer, I'm always editing, mm-hmm. I'm always polishing. And I had the urge to make some sentences better. I, I just wanted to, and, you know, and, and they wouldn't let me because it's an audiobook and you have to read it exactly how it is on the page. And I, I, I have to admit that I bristled a little bit inside <laughs> because, hey, this is my book. You know, exactly. I can, I, can, I can change the word if I want to, but you, know, but, but you can't. You can't because that book exists on its own, no longer is you know, part of you. Yeah, the minute you release it out into the world, it doesn't. and it's the weirdest feeling not belonging to the work that you've put your heart and soul into um yeah when I when I worked on botanical magic you know I'm I'm in my office by myself yelling at these four walls and it's like the minute (laughs) it goes out it's like it's not about me anymore it's about the book so yeah 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 well you know it I mean it has to stand up by itself and the way that books are, I mean, one of the reasons I wrote 5,000 Spells is because I wanted to preserve the material. Mm-hmm. It was very important to me because so much, so much magical material has been lost and spiritual material has been lost over the millennia. It's been just lost or suppressed or destroyed or truncated. And I wanted to preserve this written in a practitioner's voice. and the way books are published now because you know it used to be like with manuscripts they were handwritten before the printing press like Mm -hmm. you know we are doing um i i just finished editing harold roth's next book the magic of the sword of moses which is you know an ancient manuscript and you know there's only a couple copies of the manuscript because that's how books would be like you would you would someone would write it down and somebody else would copy it and 
is very rare to find two copies that are exactly the same. Yeah. And but now, you know, printing press, they're they're printing off 3,000, 5,000 copies at the same time. They are going all over the world, book depository, free shipping almost everywhere. <laughs> and you know, so I think it is almost impossible to destroy books in the same way anymore. There is always going to be a book, even if it's being used as a doorstop someplace, <laughs> you know, and 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 no one remembered it was there. That those books will be around forever. As, as long as there's an earth, there will be a copy someplace. I just would love to be able to find the fiction of another planet. Like, okay, what do you think is cool? What do you think is enduring? Yeah. Uh, well, who knows? Maybe we will. What makes you feel magical? And this is intentionally broad, so please take it wherever it needs to go. Well, I mean, there are two ways of interpreting that question. One is, you know, what makes you feel magical, period. And I mean, and I always, always, you know, I've always just been entranced by the esoteric and the occult and witchcraft. And I think because of that, I, I mean, I do feel magical. I feel like I'm part of the magical world. Mm -hmm. and, and if I'm part of that magical world, then I'm magical. And I mean, the same for the rest of us, all of us. If we're part of this world, yeah. then, you know, I used to watch like, you know, you watch like Rosemary's Baby, like these movies are a witch, like, you know, they have party scenes. Everybody in that party is magical because they're there. Yes. So that's one thing. But I mean, the other side of that is, it's of course, like, you know, we all, you know, we all have days when we're feeling our power and we're all, we all have days when we're not. And then, you know, you could go through times in your life when things are not going well. And, you know, um, I, I worked in a mall. <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I, I have spent, you know, I, I have two kids to support and um, on my own. And, you know, so, I mean, I was certainly, I don't live in a witch world all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I certainly have times in my life extended times when I haven't felt magical and I think that what makes me what what brings me back at that point is doing something magical and that is why it's important to be a practitioner somebody who practices because if I if there's a full moon and even if I don't want to because I'm tired but I make myself go out under that moon or I make myself light a candle, or I make myself do something. It's like plugging into the socket and I feel a little bit more magical. Or, you know, getting dressed and putting on, you know, even if you're working from the outside in, you know, you put on the, the amulet or the piece of jewelry or, or the perfume, or you drink the tea or something, and, and you start to like feel a little bit more connected again. I, I mean, the person, who I dedicated um, Daily Magic to is my old friend. She was my astrologer, Carol Murray. And, you know, I, I would call her up. She was a very magical person and she would make me feel magical. And I, you know, I, I hope I can, I hope I return the favor for her sometimes. You know, it's, it is like plugging into that energy and that, you know, and that makes you, that, that makes me feel a, 
And I think that's one of the most important thing is, you know, with spell casting and any kind of witchcraft or magical work is knowing, having those, those things, those half a, half a dozen things that when you forget your magical helps to remind you. Incense is definitely at the top of my list, I think. Yeah. Just yeah, the minute it hits you, you know where your brain is going and it's already gotten there before you recognized it. Right, right. For me, it's essential oils. You know, essential oils do that to me. They're so beautiful, especially when you can, when you give yourself permission to take the time and really examine where those things come from. Like yeah. the, the very first time I grabbed a bottle of benzoin and, and smelled it, Mm -hmm. I had this flash of um, getting snowballs in the summer with my mom and my sisters. And we always got, or I, my mother and I always got the egg custard snowball. And so it's like oh, it's creamy great. and sweet and delicious. And yeah. your brain makes those leaps before we even have the sense to understand why those things happen. And it's really good frankincense does it for me. Mm. And the really good stuff, you know, the stuff from Oman and from Ethiopia, it's really, you know high quality there is something about frankincense that if i you know and it does it's been shown you know they've done that you know it's been shown to help you slow down your breathing help you you know achieve a sort of a state of relaxation a little bit more and um i i find that it's just you know the world is a very magical place and we lose sight of that but then when you you find that magical whatever that magical substance is that resonates with you and speaks to your soul mm -hmm. that it, it kind of pulls you back in because there's so much garbage too and there's yeah. so much just just so much so much that one despairs of it's very easy to forget about it and you know i think we all have times in our life where we're just not feeling magical there are, you know things are not going wrong you know the people who love us aren't the people who who should be treating us well are not um, we're not, we're not getting respect. We're not, we're not, you know, doing what that 15 year old would be happy about, you know, if they could only see us now. And so we need something to jolt us back to that state where, you know, Hey, I, I am magic. You had this such a beautiful connection. How did you translate that into writing magical books? Those are two completely different things about me that just happened to meet up together. Um, one thing is I have always been interested in magic. Always, always. People, you know, people say, well, why did you start writing witchcraft books? I mean, I don't know. You know, I, it was just something that has always, you know, why do some people sing or play piano or, you know, sculpt or whatever, ice skate? I, for me, it was magic and witchcraft. I can't remember a time. I have a sibling who's significantly older than I am. She's 12 years older than I am. And so when I was six, she was starting, when I was starting first grade, she was starting college. And um, she went to college very close to the old Samuel Weiser bookshop in New York City <laughs> back in 1966. Nice. Um, and she would bring home stuff. I mean, she brought home a deck of tarot cards and I just, I fell in love with them. And I, you know, I don't know why. I saw the Gilligan, there's a Gilligan's Island episode where Ginger um, is a crystal ball reader, I think. I, it made such an impression on me. Why? Who knows? You know, 
but it did. So that, so that is one side of me. I have always been interested in metaphysics, but that was a very private side of me. I got made fun of in school for that. And, um, you know, people will ridicule you if you have, you know, uh, you know, you're, you're the mystical child. Um, so that was something I, by the time I, I was like an adult, I, I learned to keep very private, but then I also can write. And that's just a skill. And maybe that's genetic. I have writers in my family. So, you know, I can write. That, that is my skill labor. And I have, when I've needed work, I have sometimes just, you know, I wrote websites for people. I, I, I was a terrible grant writer, but I was a grant writer. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I can write stuff. If you know, you know, if you need me to, if somebody needed resumes, to, I, I, can, I can write it. You know, if you, if you want to hire me to write a book on sewage systems, I mean, I, I'd have to do some research, but I like research. <laughs> so I mean, I can do it. So there are those two sides of me. I then, um, I mean, how did I start writing? I, I have this huge unpublished book that is really the prototype for 5,000 spells mm -hmm. called Frogs and Pomegranates. And it is a book devoted to traditional methods of getting pregnant if you are having trouble getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. So herbs and magic and spiritual solutions and homeopathy and also, you know, pretty much everything, but, but um, the fertility clinic. And um, I decided, I mean, long story short, there was a point where I realized my life was, you know, just about to tank and I had all this information and what am I gonna do? with it and i said well i know how to write I'll, I'll just put it into a book and um i sent it out and you know that book is so lucky for me it's never been published mm -hmm. just for a, a wide variety of reasons I may, I may try to send it out again probably you know later this year see if somebody wants to publish it now but um it landed on the desk an unsolicited manuscript it landed on the desk of greg brandenburg who was the VP at Element Books in Boston at the time. And he turned it down, but he liked my chapter on magic spells. And he said, would you like to turn this into a, you know, I would like a book on, on, on magic. Um, and I said, sure, I can do that. It was, a, it was not a happy time in my life. Mm -hmm. It was the nicest thing, you know, the opportunity to do this was sort of the nicest thing that had happened to me in a while. And, it was he wasn't asking me, you know, sewage systems I'd have to be, I, I'd have to research, but a book on magic spells and how to do it, I, I can do that. That that I knew. That wasn't a hard thing for me. So I said, sure, I'll do it. And you know, and I wrote that first book, which is Earth Mother Magic. I wrote that first book. I didn't think anybody would read it. I used my real name. <laughs> um I I I didn't think anybody would read it. No one would buy it. So I mean, what you know, what why worry about privacy? No one's gonna read this. And of course, it's like, you know, 20 years later and, and Weiser just put, put out, um, you know, a Weiser Classics edition of that book, which is, I mean, now called Pure Magic, which is wild. Um, and I just, one book led to another. And, you know, here I am. I love it. <laughs> the things that we expect and the things that actually wind up happening are joyfully two completely different things. There, there, there was no plan for it. I, I just, it was totally not my plan. I am not an ambitious person. All I, all I want, if you had asked me five years before my first book was published, all I wanted was to, I don't know, 
have an herb garden, you know, raise my kids, play with my cats, you know, that, that's really, I, you know, the joke is, is that, that that is not what life had planned for me. Right. Is it the kind of thing that has your writing impacted the way that you practice magic or are they really just outgrowths of the same process? No, I, I think it has. It has because that first book was probably my most personal book because mm-hmm. it was a very experiential book. But by the time I got to my third book, I was asked to write an encyclopedia of spells. And then, and then I began writing encyclopedias, which I really enjoy doing. Uh, I've written four encyclopedias and you have to organize them and you have to, you have to go out beyond yourself. So when I say my first book is very personal, it's got, you know, things I love in it and things I like to do. And, you know, I think if you look at the pure magic, you, you, you know, who was I? You, I think you have a good sense of who I was 20 years ago. Um, but once you write encyclopedias, you know, it can't be Judica's greatest hits anymore, you know, right. or Judica's favorite spells, because it has to be stuff that represents a lot of people. And you have to write about them with respect. And you have to um, not be vague about anything. You have to really research and, and make sure you know what you're talking about and that it's accurate. And it, it forces you out of yourself. And I think it has broadened what I do. My, my knowledge broadened beyond just what interested me. Mm-hmm. And so, so that, ex, that certainly expanded it. Um, and, you know, you start looking at stuff and I, I mean, when I wrote Five Thousand Spells, I spent about a year just immersed in spells. And, you know, the, the books take you on a journey. I mean, I'm sure you know also, you start writing the book, but then the book is taking you. Yes. Especially uh, about halfway in, I get to the point where the book is waking me up saying, hey, write about this. Hey, write this thing. Right, right, right. So you start off, you know, roughly, know, you know, well, this is what I'm going to write about. And then the next, it's like, oh, it's like I'm riding the horse, but then the horse is, you know, the horse is going <laughs> off on its own and I'm just holding on. <laughs> That's why I love trying to write a table of contents at the beginning of a book because I'm like, I don't actually know what's going to make it into this book and what's not. So uh, good luck. pretty much pretty much i find that it tends to be better than what i expected the 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 book the book knows better that's how i know that the book is good because it takes off on its own it 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 has a life um and one once it has that then then it's just trying to keep up and 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 like type fast enough yes i'm so always so fascinated where those things tend to start like in botanical brews I started writing about absinthe. The next thing I do, I'd look up and we're 5,000 words deep in the absinthe. And it's like, okay, there needs to be room for other things in this book, but absinthe. Yeah, but it's like that phenomenon of missing time. Mm-hmm. Like you sit down to write, oh, I'm just going to do this for 15 minutes. I'm going to write five pages in 15 minutes. And then like you look up and it feels like 15 minutes, but it's been six hours and, and, and you've written 400 pages. And it's like, oh, how did I do that? Yeah. I haven't eaten, I haven't slept, I haven't get up to pee, nothing. You're just right. <laughs> do you call yourself a witch? What, how, how do you identify your, your practice? Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I usually call myself an occultist. I call myself an occultist because um, 
as I write at the beginning of Encyclopedia of Witchcraft, mm -hmm. which is a word that everybody thinks they know the meaning of. They're very sure they know the meaning of it. And clearly they have the, you know, and, and, and people are shocked to learn that there are many definitions of what is a witch. And so it depends who I am with, because it is not always safe to call yourself a witch. Right. It's not always safe to call yourself a witch. And if, if you say you're a witch, I need to know what the other, I mean, I'll do it with you. Um, but, you know, what does the other person think that means? Does that thing, do they think a witch is a magically powerful, very cool person with a lot of knowledge who knows very interesting arcane topics? Or do they think that, I don't know, I'm like, uh, you know, I, I consume babies, you know, because I mean, there are people who think that mm -hmm. even now, even now, like, you know, we're not just talking about, you know, oh, 400 years ago, 1692 in Salem, there are people who think that if you're a witch, you are doing terrible things and maybe you should be destroyed mm -hmm. or maybe they need to do something to, to you know, whatever. So um, I, I'm careful. I am careful with who I use that word with. I personally love that word. I think that's a wonderful word. And I'm always like, you know, people sometimes use witch as an insult, mm -hmm. you know, if they think you're a arrogant woman, um, <laughs> you're, you know, they, they, they call you a witch. And it's like, you know, you're saying that like it's a bad thing, but, uh, you know, there are people who think it's a bad thing. So, so I'm cautious, but a cultist, a cultist, either you know what that means or you don't. And if you don't know what it means, they tend to walk away. <laughs> <laughs> You're not you're not wrong. Um, my sister-in-law, who I would have put money on the fact that she at least liked me, <laughs> responded to an engraved invitation uh, with a, a little chick track listing Exodus twenty two eighteen on it. Like, okay, so you don't want to come to my party? Do you have to threaten me? Like, what is what what exactly is the problem here? Um, and I and I said something to the effect, oh, oh, well, that was that was on the back of something else. That's obviously not what I meant. Well, you clip out um, death threats in a magazine and you mail them to someone. They're gonna think yeah. you don't mean that. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah. you, you could take that the wrong way. You know? That's definitely one of the ways that that could have been taken. Uh, <laughs> and it's and it's not safe. It's it's actually pretty scary sometimes to. Yes. be a magical practitioner in this space i mean i talked about a couple things in uh, protection magic you know, being run off the road by a crazy person screaming out the window like these things happen because they think they know what the word witch means and they they're sure probably... people are sure they're just so sure everybody's sure they i mean you know it's sort of any any idiot knows what that means and i must be right but you know, I mean, that is that is how my book Encyclopedia of Witchcraft starts with all these different, and I mean, I have heard all of them. Um, so, I I am I am cautious, like you know, who wants to know, exactly, and why, you know, or or you know, they say, you know, I, I get, it, you know, are you a witch? And they say, well, what do you think that means? You you tell me what it means, and I'll tell you if you're right. I had that in high school because I got yanked out of the broom closet in like junior year. So that you'd have the kids who like, I'm going to make fun of you in front of my friends. So they think I'm cool, but I'm going to come back right. by five minutes later and see if you can hook me up with a spell. Like, 
<laughs> it's always the one who, who and it's always the one who is the most belligerent and the loudest and, yep. and, who, and, who, and who gives you the hardest time <laughs> says oh hey this is pretty cool can you can you do something for me yes you always want something don't you most of the time it was it was a uh a fabulous potion for clear skin it's really just a bag of calendula and you tell them to make a tea <laughs> but guess what it came from a witch so it must be a magical potion well you know it's magic though it is magic my calendula is magic calendula is magic fabulous stuff yeah well i mean that's i mean i think that one of the the beautiful things about practicing the magical arts and witchcraft is that if you are coming to it with the right intentions, you recognize that this is a world of wonders. It is a world of wonders and the world is beautiful and there's so many wonderful aspects and things and, you, you know, and I think that it you can find joy in just, you know, breathing the air. And, you know, you stand by the ocean, that air, that's magic. Oh, and, it you is. know, right? And plants and food. And I mean, there's magic in other people. There's magic in colors. There's magic everywhere. And I think that is a priceless thing. And every once in a while, you know, I meet somebody and they like, you know, they took magic you know what about magic oh, i don't believe in it or you know astrology i don't believe in it and they'll they kind of look at me like i'm supposed to convince them i it's not my job to convince them you know you can but i feel bad for them i feel bad for them because they're not it's not what they believe or they don't believe they don't know exactly they don't know they clearly have never had that experience or have, of feeling that magic or have not trusted themselves to you know, this is magic. Um, that it, it's I, it, I. I feel bad. I feel bad for people. Who go, oh, I don't believe in magic. Well, you know that that's just. I'm sorry for you. That's very sad. Yeah. I was talking to uh, another podcast yesterday. I had an interview with fabulous humans. Really enjoyed it. And at one point, my niece Emily had come to me at probably eight years old, and she's like, "Okay, and Amy." You always said that I could ask you anything. I said, mom and dad are going to lie to me. So you, you know, like I'm, I'm here, like looking at you in the face. You better not, better not lie to me. Eight-year-olds are serious business. Uh, <laughs> and she wanted to know if Santa Claus was real. And so I said to her, I said, well, since you're coming to me and you're asking me and you're, you're making it clear that you want to know the answer, I'm going to answer you. And she said, okay, like she's, she's stealing herself to hear that Santa Claus is not real. I said, no, Santa Claus is real. I said, you know, before you, before you give me the shifty eyes, like, let me explain why. <laughs> and I started talking about the energy of thought forms and how the yeah. whole, whole people over the whole planet, over hundreds of years, figuring on this, this one figure in, in human history or in human mythology, guess what? Now, even if they didn't exist before, they do now. Right. And so it took her a couple of minutes to try to figure out if I was pulling her leg or not, you know, it's very shrewd in the, in the child sized people. But <laughs> it took, it took her a few minutes to, to wrap her noggin around it, but not only was she happy that I talked to her and, and listened to her concerns, but that I was able to be honest in a way 
right. that she felt respected and also not lied to. Right, right, right. He didn't give her the because it's not it's not necessarily a simple yes or no answer. It's, exactly, it's, it's more complex than that. I have entries for Santa Claus in two of my encyclopedias. Encyclopedia of witchcraft. And the spirits, or is it Mystic Saints and Sages? Uh, it's Encyclopedia of Spirits. Nice. Because I, I don't, uh, I, well, I, I, in Encyclopedia of Mystic Saints and Sages, I discuss him because of his relationship with St. Nicholas. Mm -hmm. But to me, Santa Claus is not St. Nick. Right. Um, you know, there is, there is a historical St. Nicholas, and there are people in Europe who dress up at him, for him on his feast day. December 6th, but that's not, you know, he, he's quite strict. He asks questions, you know, children religious questions that they're expected to answer, questions of theology that they're expected to answer correctly. He's not jolly Santa Claus, who <laughs> I associate with Odin. I mean, to Odin, that's, you know, and, um, you know, the horned deities who, you know, we, we now have Krampus, but that that that's a very complicated topic also. Uh, so yeah, Santa Claus is real. Santa Claus is the thing. My father's family is um, German and, and Dutch. And so growing up like Krampus, Krampus will get you. <laughs> this, is, this is serious business. I had a, a teaching partner whose parents were, um, who lived outside, just outside the Black Forest um, before they came to the US. And she can remember being five-ish years old and uh, some out, outside of San Francisco is where they, they moved to when they came to the US. And she had heard her parents talking about Krampusnacht. So she ran and hid because she thought she had been a bad kid. So she was going to get taken away by Krampus. They had to call the police. They had neighbors searching the neighborhood. <laughs> like she's hiding under a bed somewhere from Krampus. These people have no idea yeah. what she's talking about because Krampus. <laughs> Do you have a favorite experience of magic that you are interested in sharing? know if I have a favorite experience. I have many favorite experiences. Um, I mean, I I teach spell casting. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, I always tell my students that, you know, it's the spells that didn't work that are actually more interesting. Um, you know, because you can learn more from them. Mm -hmm. I have, you know, accomplishments. I, you know, I got my house out of foreclosure. It, 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 you know, it did not foreclose. I got a seller. I did that. Um, that is my big accomplishment. And that was, you know, with, you know, with the help of Oshun, um, I, you know, it, it, it was done. Um, so I have, you know, when you, I, you know, I, I have two children and I, you know, didn't think I was going to have any. So there, there are, you know, I, I, I am testimony to, I am the testament that magic works and that you, you know, there, there's sort of two ways of spell casting. One is just this sort of magical approach where you recognize the magic in the universe and you just want to 
soak it up and savor it and enjoy it. And, oh, you know, it's a full moon. Let's go out and dance. And, you know, and, and just the beauty of, 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 you know, magic is fun and it's beautiful. And being able to be a part of that, that is an amazing thing. And then there's the other side where life is just not going in the way you want it to go. Like sometimes you, you see yourself, you're, you know, if you, if you see life is going down a road and you're going down this road of life, and at some point you realize, I am not going anywhere good. I am not going anywhere I want to go. It's like when you're driving and there's a detour up ahead and you really mm -hmm. don't want to take that detour. So you have to do so you have to quick do something else. And and magic can help you with that. You you find yourself going down the road of life and this is not the life you wanted. And, and there are no there aren't necessarily conventional solutions that will fix it for you. You know, it's not just like. I can buy something or I can say something. It, it, it's bigger than that. You know, there's no rescue. You have to rescue yourself. Absolutely. And, and so that is another kind of magic. And that is very, very meaningful. And they are both. Um, so if you have ever been in a very, very negative place, a mm -hmm. dangerous place, and you've been able to magic, magic yourself into a better place, I mean, that's best really is uh, we had a coven member oh god i was probably 19 and uh one of the members of our coven had been diagnosed with um intestinal cancer that was far advanced that was there was a very bleak outlook and so because there were quite a number of nurses in our in my first coven and our high priestess was an er nurse so there was a lot of healing modalities present um, and they were actually offered and taught by, by the coven itself. She'd brought, she brought in someone to teach Reiki. Like it, it was a, it was a whole thing. She said, Hey, like, let's, let's help you. Let's, let's do what we can. This is what we do. Let's, let's go sure. for it. And so there was probably 27 people in our coven at that point. <laughs> it was a, it was quite large. So we had some people who were chanting and we had some people who were drumming and some people who were doing Reiki and some people were like, it was five different groups doing five different things, all being orchestrated by one high priestess. And it was, it was intense. And so we, we, we work for probably an hour and we're raising energy and we're doing all this stuff. And the next week we had um, our, our regular monthly meeting, as opposed to this, this special event meeting. And she went to the doctor's office and they said, you know what, you're, you're just fine. I don't know what could have possibly happened. Maybe, maybe the machine was wrong. Maybe the calibration was off. And she said, yeah, or maybe I'm magic. And it was just fabulous because we went from a death sentence to a life sentence, <laughs> you know, being able to go out and, and not just have life, but to know that it's a little bit sweeter because you almost didn't have it. And not a lot of people yeah. get that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You talked about family and you mentioned at what point did your children realize that maybe maybe what, what happens here is not what, what happens out there at other people's houses? I, I mean, always. <laughs> I always, always, um, you know, I mean, my my former husband, who is 
not my former husband at the time, he said something to me, which I, I always remember. Um, and it's it sort of, I, it wasn't, it, I think one of the nicest things anyone has ever said to me, we were, we were living in Tarzana in California at that time. And I was sort of in a bad mood because we, we lived between, we had neighbors on both sides. Mm -hmm. And they didn't look, they didn't really like, I, don't, I wouldn't say they didn't like us, but they treated us like we were weird. And I, I didn't really, you know, I didn't think we were that weird. You know, I, I tried hard not to be weird on, you know, <laughs> my Aquarius rising, you know, with them. We tried to be sort of, I, I, you know, I, I, I try to cover. Um, <laughs> and I was just very frustrating at one point. My kids, was, my kids were really little at this time. And I, I said to him, I was just in a bad mood. I said, well, I don't know why they always look at us like we're the Adams family. And he, and he was like, he said, Judica, we are the Adams family. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, oh yeah, I guess we are. <laughs> nice. So yeah, I mean, I mean, my kids have always known, but you know, my, I, I didn't grow up with intolerant people. I grew up with people like, I get email from people, oh, you know, I demonstrated my magical ability as a child and they tried to beat it out of me. Or, you know, I went to church and they tried to exercise me or I, I didn't have any of that. And most I had eye rolling. Mm -hmm. And most I had, you know, they didn't take me seriously or, uh, you know, geez, why can't she like, you know, why can't she go be a math teacher? You know, <laughs> like, I, but, but no, no one was, no one in my family was mean to me. I was teased a lot in school um, and I was bullied, but not only for this. I mean, I, I you know, I, I could barely speak English. I, nothing, nothing came out of my mouth, right? I, you know, so, I mean, this is just one more thing um, that, you know, to tease me about. And I mean, where we lived, I've always, you know, I'm a coastal person. I've lived on the East Coast. I've lived, you know, I've lived in, in, New York or the shadow of New York or Los Angeles or the shadow of Los Angeles. So we never, I mean, we, we didn't really have a lot of contact with people who would say, oh, this is evil. Um, so I, I think my kids also had that experience. Like they, they I don't know that, that they were more embarrassed by me with my witchcraft interests than any, you know, children are always kind of embarrassed by their parents. Uh, my kids, by the time, you know, I never had childcare. Mm -hmm. um, I was separated by the time, uh, and a single mother by the time they were pretty young. And um, like, like, like their dad just left. And, you know, they grew up in metaphysical stores. You know, I, I didn't have anybody believe them. I used to teach at Soul Journey. Mm -hmm. This is how my kids got like, like video games and like, you know, Game Boys or whatever, because, I mean, they would never have gotten them otherwise, but they had to be good while I was teaching. Right. So they'd sit, they'd sit like on stools in the back room <laughs> while I, I would be in the store teaching. They grew up in metaphysical stores. It's, it's normal for them. I love it. I mean, they were pretty young when they met you, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that was um, Balticon. I don't even know where we met. Do we meet at Sacred Space Amy? Um. No, uh, Crystal's Candles and Cauldrons. Crystal's Candles and Cauldrons, yeah. I used to go to Baltimore every year because they would go to Otacon. And <laughs> I, I, I would like, you know, 
find a class to teach. Yeah, they were, they were. Yeah. Oh, goodness, that was probably 12, 10, 12 years ago. Yeah, we know each other for a long time. <laughs> that was, it was a good yeah. class too. Yeah. What is something about magic that still just sparks your love of it, your, your need to research, your, just the, the joyfully geek out part? Like there's. Do you know, do you know writing is work for me? Mm -hmm. The actual writing is hard. And I, I do a lot of rewriting and it's mm -hmm. like, oh, do I have to do this? But the researching and the magic is, I mean, it's magic. I love that. So I, I love everything about it. I love, you know, I still love tarot cards. I love, I love things that come in little bottles, you know, um, it, 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 perfumes or essential oils, or if it comes in a little bottle, I love it. Um, I, I have a very soft spot for that. I, I, I love plants. I love, you know, it, it that's that's not a hard thing for me finding you know i love i get to you know part of being an editor is i get to spend time with magical people mm -hmm. and that's just a joy for me that's all you know th that's all wonderful that that to me is not hard like if i was you know a billionaire if i was like independently wealthy i mean that's the part i mean i you could just play with magic all day that that would be nothing um but um you know the the, the actual writing of stuff that that is hard work yes and because i imagine that being an editor makes you a little more critical of your writing no um i think i'm a good editor because i was an author first which is very unusual i um you know i didn't I, I, I walk, you know, in a lot of ways, I was kind of like a feral person. My parents <laughs> in a lot of ways were, you know, they, they were kind of feral, um, you know, not, not in a bad way, but in terms of like, we were sort of people who were not really socialized people. Mm -hmm. I didn't know, I, I don't know a lot of stuff. There's like stuff I don't know how to do. And like, I didn't know, like, you could go to school and learn to, you know, you, you can get a master's degree in publishing. I didn't know that until I was already working. I came in through the back door. I used to get a lot of books. As an author, I would get books from um, publishers to endorse. Mm -hmm. And I would always catch mistakes, not grammar mistakes, but contextual mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I realized that they were hiring editors who were really good editors and they had gone to school and they knew all the stuff about grammar and punctuation. I was, I mean, and I was an English major. I, I, I know that stuff too, but they were not catching the, the contextual errors because they didn't know these specialized topics. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, oh, well, you know, I wish I had been able to read this before, like before it was too late to change it because I, I would have fixed this for you. And that sort of started my years later, I ended up you know, somebody asked me, do you want to go and do this? And I said, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a real, it was a good timing. My parents had just died. It was like, it was like, and I had taken care of them for a couple of years. So this is sort of good timing for me to do it. But um, I would say that I am a better author because I have been edited. It's the other way around. Um, I have had, I mean, I have had the worst editors. I have had 
not of Weiser books. Um, I have had, I, I've published for five, five different companies. Um, I have had some editors, like soul killing editors, mm. um, but I've also had amazing editors, great editors at Weiser books and also at um, HarperCollins UK. And they taught me to be a better writer. And I think that how you write is a bit of a reflection of how you think. Mm -hmm. And because I have learned to be a clearer, more succinct writer, I think my thinking has improved. Like it goes back and forth. If you're thinking, if you're the process of thinking is better, your writing is better. Right. But if you're, but but it's 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 the other way too. It, you know, once you learn to write clearly, it forces you to think clearly. And I have become a better spellcaster because of that also. Oh, I because like that. You, you know, it's all connected. You you see things in a in a clear fashion. Um, I really I love the English language. I had to learn it, and I appreciate it. That it is there is a reason that English has become the lingua franca of the world. Mm -hmm. There at, at its best. It is clear and succinct and it's big and adaptable. And there are a lot of words for a lot of things. You can really hone in and express um, emotions, for example, very, very succinctly and very specifically. And that, that has helped me. Um, I think that being an author has helped me be a good editor because most editors are not authors mm -hmm. and the process of writing is very stressful. I think authors are some of the bravest people on earth because you actually, you know, you know, everybody's got an opinion and they put it like on social media, but you can take it down. Authors put stuff in writing and paper. It's documented. It is a document, you know, and of course, we would all, I'm sure we have all written things that two years later, as you change, you, you know, you might write something a little bit differently. As you, you know, as you expand and you evolve, you might write something a little bit differently. So you have a document of where you were at a certain time with the information that you have put out. It's very brave. Because you'll be held to that standard for the rest of your life. No matter how much you grow or change, at some point, someone's going to say, but you thought this over here, where did that come from? And you can't just say, oh, well, I was young. I, I thought the world was flat. I didn't know any better. You know, because there's always gonna be someone who can say, yeah, you did know better. Sure. And you know, you can't, you can't copy people. And it's Rachel Jordan, whoever's there, you've got to you've got to stop. You don't. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, preserve it, our sound quality. In the myriad really fabulous humans that you've gotten to work with, is there a way that do you how do I say this? Dear authors that you work with change and develop your own practice at home or are you able to leave that at work i mean like i, I think everybody influences you not just authors but you know you meet people 
I, people I take classes from people like you know will tell me something and you see something a little bit differently mm -hmm. so I mean I think we're always rubbing off on each other I, I think that's a that's just you know in some cases yes I mean I I get to read books and I mean they they I don't always choose what I read mm -hmm. which I think is um y y you know when you when you choose what you read you can you know in some ways this is what when I was learning metaphysics there were much less books mm -hmm. there were much less outlets you couldn't go online and just order a book at four in the morning you you had to you know even mail order was a more complicated thing mm -hmm. and so to some extent like people say what did you read well I, I I read what I mean I and I mean I think this is true of everybody my generation we read what we could find you know so even if it wasn't your first choice you you read it and even if um I was I'm used to reading books that I don't I don't have to agree with 100% of the things in the book mm -hmm. I I can I can find the the one or two really valuable things and feel that the book is worth my reading and I think now there's almost a glut of books it's very easy to find them um and it's easy just to choose books that validate what you already think right and and, and then you don't grow so as an editor i have to read certain books and and i have to engage with them and I mean, so I, I'm always learning that that to me is a good day. Any day that you learn something is a good day. Um, Absolutely. You know, I mean, within reason, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, barring, barring certain circumstances, but um, you, you know, I, I, I want to learn something every day and I do. And, um, and I learn from wonderful teachers and I, that, that, that not always being able to choose what I read is is a valuable thing yeah there's there's so often anymore when someone comes upon something in their book that they're reading that they don't agree with it's like okay well now i have to throw this book away and set it on fire and it's like no that book clarified the point that you feel very particularly about this point and that helps refine your argument for the next person exactly. someone says well why don't you like x well now you have more reasons and more ammunition to make sure that they understand why it is that you feel the way you do. And it makes it a lot harder if you only read things you agree with. Well, you, you need to stretch a little bit, you, you know, even if you disagree with it, why, why? And sometimes, you know, there are books that I didn't love them the first time I read them. Mm -hmm. And then I read them a couple of years later and I appreciated them more or vice versa. Sometimes there's a book that I read and then you go back to it years later and it hasn't held up. Um, so, you, you know, to engage with the material, to, to actually engage with it and see, you know, I mean, the books that are least useless are the ones that are boring. They're not resonating with you at all. Right. The books that annoy you or make you angry. Well, okay. So, so, so what, what sparked that reaction? There's something there. Um, and, and exactly as you said, it helps you refine your own vision, helps you, you know, create your own path. Sometimes it's by reading a book and going, oh, this is all wrong. I, you know, this is not what I want to do. Sometimes, sometimes that helps you figure out what it is that you do want to do. Can you point to one, two, three, four, 
people that you have really noticed they have and an, had an impact on how you practice without you necessarily like it didn't start out that way you just find them did that make any sense at all <laughs> yeah but i you know i, I learned from a lot of people mm-hmm. um I, I don't come from an initiation background i learned from a lot of people and sometimes people will ask me like who's your teacher and they want a lineage and they want it to be someone famous and the reality is i learned from you know there's a lot of there are a lot of practitioners there practitioners out there who are not authors there are a lot of we have this is a really nice thing about the metaphysical community that authors kind of become semi-celebrities mm-hmm. because anything i mean this is a community that likes to read and values books and and i wish that could be said about all communities <laughs> so but there are a lot of people out there who know a ton who are are not big names or do not like sell anything uh, carol murray who um i dedicated daily magic to uh so i i got a deck of tarot cards when i was six and I was very largely self-taught and I didn't do a lot of reading for other people. I read for some friends, I, you know, and then I, I was, I lost, I lost my um, sort of last corporate job when I was 28 and I decided, well, I need to make some money. I'll be a card reader. And then I had a panic attack because I thought, what if I've been doing it wrong all these years? And so I took a, I, I signed up for a class, I think at the, at the Omega Center in New York, and she happened to be the teacher and we became very close friends and she taught me a ton. Um, we ended up in a coven together. She was, she, she taught me a lot. I, I can go back to my books and I can, I, I can see sort of the thread of, you know, the, the teacher, the student and, you know, in our relationship, mm-hmm. I learned a lot from being a teenager and just hanging out in botanicals. I used to go to botanicals. And I mean, this is like, we're talking the seventies. There were botanicals, you know, throughout New York city and Hackensack, New Jersey and Queens. And I would go to botanicals and I mean, I would spend so much time there. I was a pain. I I had no (laughs) money. I mean, I, I would maybe buy like, I don't know, one oil and i mean i would i would start at the beginning of the store and i would look at every item and people but i mean people recognize the people people who own the stores were very kind to me they no one kicked me out and no one made me hurry up they wreck i mean i think they recognized that i had this longing for this magic and i didn't have any money and they used to just let me do stuff sometimes you know hey hey kid like you i mean you know, you know, one step up from taking out the garbage, but I was happy to do it. <laughs> right. And I, I got to, I got to see people in person, the stuff that there are YouTube videos now, but I saw people like dressing candles, mm-hmm. like rolling it in herbs and, you know, and inserting the, you know, you know, charging it up and inserting it. I, I got to actually see people doing it, um, not for me, but for other people. And they would sort of let me they weren't necessarily explaining things to me but they let me observe um and that was so valuable and i think that 
until recently, until sort of social media, I always experienced the witchcraft community and the metaphysical community as very supportive. And it was people, I would go to parties and it wasn't people like all believing the same thing or practicing the same thing. We were just, you know, somebody would bring a friend who brought a friend and, and different people had different interests and different perspectives. And there was a tolerance and a sense that we belong to a world together and a supportiveness. And I miss that because I see a lot of people tearing each other down now. Yeah. And I find it very, very depressing. Mm -hmm. I, I remember the first time, um, not to mention any names, but I had gotten involved with something and the person who in charge said something sort of negative about me. And I was just so, I was, I was sort of shocked. No, no one had ever done that before. That, to me, the metaphysical world was a safe world mm -hmm. in a way that the non-metaphysical world was not a safe world. And so, um, you know, I, I learned from a lot of people. I learned from a lot of people. I, I, I can't say necessarily that there was one person. I learned from my authors. You know, I learned from you, Amy. I, I read your books and I learn. I do. Uh, you know, and the books, I'm, I mean, I can tell you whose books I'm editing right now. Uh, I, you know, I learn all this stuff. I learned about pendulums from, you know, working on Joan Rose Staffan's book and Nancy Hendrickson, who always teaches me to see something in a new way. And I've been working on Harold Roth's book and Rachel Pollock's book. And I, I get to work with Stephanie Rosebird, who is amazing, an amazing herbalist. And so I, I learned from everybody. I'd just love to have her on the podcast. <laughs> She's wonderful. Well, since today is World Tarot Day, I thought I would ask you, do you have a favorite deck? Do you, I mean, we talked about card reading. Do you? Yes. What, what sparks I, you? I, I, I'm a bit of a classicist. I sort of have two favorite decks. And I know this is not going to be a stylish thing to say. But I love the Rider-Waite-Smith deck. I yes. love the Rider-Waite-Smith deck. I, I, in particular, I like the addition. There's a centennial edition uh the pamela coleman smith centennial uh oh i love that i want to say it was published by us games mm -hmm. uh, the i love the colors on it i why do i love it um it's not my first deck the first deck i ever you know the the, the first deck i ever experienced is the bota deck mm -hmm. the bota deck and which i which i still love also but the writer wait smith if you are a card reader it is old reliable and mm -hmm. i used to work in a psychic hotline and i can always do a reading from that and so you could be having a good day a bad day feeling magical feeling not magical whatever it is if you wake me if you have an emergency i mean i have you know i have people i've read for 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 decades and if they wake me up at like six in the morning and they have an emergency i you know i don't even have to be caffeinated i pick up that deck and i can read and and, and that is worth something yes. so I love that deck. I also love um, the Halloween deck, the Halloween Tarot, which is uh, uh, Kipling West is the artist. Yes. And I, I just, I love this. I, I love that sort of, um, I love that Halloween world. I love the old hollow, the vintage Halloween imagery, which is fun and powerful. And it's relatively recent 
if you were if you were a student of the history of witchcraft, this is, you know, th th these aren't hundreds of years of this, because for a long time, witchcraft and the, the you know, the population of that witch world were often depicted as grotesque and yep. horrible and, mm -hmm. and, and sinful and disgusting. And so to have, have the beauty and the power and the fun, that's... Um, I, that's very special. I'm writing a, uh, a forward for a deck that will be coming out soon. And it, it um, I, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say what it is yet, but it is, um, it, it is also that, that, that old Halloween imagery. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just think it's fabulous. I love the, the cats in that deck. I did too. <laughs> there was a, um, you know, I've, I was the personal bodyguard for the CFO of a $30 million company, which sounds really odd to say out loud. Um, but we had a party one night uh, and it was in late September and we used the Halloween deck as, yeah. and as the end, your entrance fee was, you got a card and. Oh, that's great. Boy, that was an interesting night because the, the cards that came up were usually the ones that obviously people needed, but it said a lot more about the person who received that card necessarily than what they were doing in a week a month a year from then that's interesting <laughs> that's definitely when a wild deck my book encyclopedia of witchcraft when it was first conceived was supposed to have color plates mm -hmm. and i mean eventually the bean counters got involved and the color plates were gone and they were going to let me pick the color plates oh. and i had um a, a, a couple of the images from the halloween tarot uh, the, that i was hoping would be in it because they're just you know the trick-or-treat one with the witch handing out the stuff mm -hmm. it's just it's so beautiful <laughs> i i think people forget and I, I i try to you know how much fun magic can be and, and that fun is important because that fun is what's going to raise your power mm -hmm. that fun is that fun is what fuels you and makes you feel magical and that kind of wicked fun, <laughs> you know, um, that it, it's easy to, because often we rely on magic when things are not going well mm -hmm. and we're not feeling good about ourselves. And so it's sort of this desperation magic um, and we forget, but it's fun. It's just the perfect thing when you're having a really bad day, week, month, year, like just to get yeah, in there and- life do some do some stuff <laughs> well i wanted to thank you so very much for coming by and hanging out with us in podcast today i, I want to thank you for letting me come and play <laughs> <laughs> how can our readers support you how can they support me yeah oh, oh well you know I, i'm a little bit of a mess right now. i work a lot <laughs> uh, you know my, my my website like you know also they send, they send me these really nice messages you know your website is kind of like damaged right now it's like i know i just haven't <laughs> fixed it yet so um my my website is a little down but i am on facebook and i am on twitter and i am on instagram and um i have uh i have books yeah, all the books. Please buy all the but books. The best thing, honestly, the best thing you can do for an author, any author, buy a book or write a nice review. Um, you know, if you don't have anything good to say, just don't write a review. This, like, you know, I mean, unless it's something so terrible that you have to warn people. Um, 
I mean, there are relatively few magical books like that. And, you know, or, you know, and if, and if you don't have the money to buy a book, then you could ask your library to ask your library to buy the book. A lot of libraries don't carry metaphysical books because they don't know that anybody wants them. I mean, unless you're living in those areas where like they think it's the devil, but that's a whole other thing. But, yeah. you know, but if you, but, but a lot of areas are not like that. They just don't know that anybody wants these books. So tell them, tell them which books they should get. That's, that's a huge thing. Absolutely. I am just so excited we got to hang out because I miss your face. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> I, have we seen each other since um, Pantheacon in person? I don't think so. I don't think so. I taught at Lady Rhea store when you mm -hmm. came up with Natalie, mm -hmm. um, but I think that was before Pantheacon, right? Yeah, that was that was the day that I air, that air, I, uh, elevator pitched you a couple books, and you're like, "Oh, send me that," and it turned out to be Wow, Black Magic. Know, we, Magic. We've seen each other in many places over many years, but I have a hard time like with a timeline of what came first. I think the last time we saw each other was the Pantheacon. Yeah, so much fun. That was fun. <laughs> Hi, Jinx. It's good stuff. So uh, remind your, it was Daily Magic was the most recent release uh hi the daily magic is my first book of original material in 10 years um so because i took a break yeah i took a break for a while um i wrote four encyclopedias in a row and i was just dead and then i i took a break and daily magic is a perpetual calendar uh, it you it, it complements all the other encyclopedias a perpetual calendar because every day is magic every mm -hmm. day is magic not just the the big festivals every day is magic and so that's my most recent book. And then I, there is a Wiser Classic edition of Pure Magic, which is not a new book, but it's got a new foreword by Matt Oren mm -hmm. and um, a new preface and acid-free paper and all that good <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and uh, I'm, my personal favorite is the, um, how, do, how is it, the Wiser edition, uh, the occult detectives that you read from at yeah. PantheaCon. That, that that is my oh, yeah. current favorite. I had so much fun. I, I curated two books of occult fiction, and I I love that. I I just I love those stories, and I wish people would buy more short stories because then you know buy more short stories, buy those books. Um, Wiser book of occult detectives mm -hmm. and the book of the fantastic and forgotten because because then they would let me do more. <laughs> and I mean I have a haunted house story book ready to go. Yes. Um, but, but people have to buy more of those, those fiction books. And I, I write, I have an occult detective and one of these days I'm gonna have enough time to finish my own fiction. Fantastic. I, yeah. I have been spending my downtime working on a novel. And it's like, yes, we, this, is, this is a thing that needs to happen. Yeah, I think so too. I think there should be more, more new occult fiction. Yes, thousand percent. Yes. Speaking of which, this, this nonfiction, my next book is Blackthorn's Botanical Wellness, and it'll be out November 1st, and it is available for pre-order now. And as soon as there's a preview something, then I'll obviously post about that. And so, I've read it, and it's fabulous. <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> I don't even care to say this stuff. She just, she's just awesome. No, 
No, no. See, these are the perks of being the editor. You get to read it first. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you so much for stopping by and um, have a great night. <laughs> you too. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Remember, we're all trees in the forest. Nurture each other. <laughs>